The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that by 2035, the nation will have more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 18 for the first time in history. Are communities doing enough to meet this unprecedented change? And what about the moment we find ourselves in now? How have these chaotic times impacted how we plan for aging populations? I'm Megan Stromberg, Editor-in-Chief of the American Planning Association. On this episode of the APA podcast, I'm chatting with Rodney Harrell, a planner and AARP's Vice President of Family, Home, and Community. Rodney, thank you so much for taking taking the time to talk with us today. I wonder if you could introduce yourselves to our listeners. Sure. I'm Rodney Harrell. I'm the Vice President of Family, Home, and Community at AARP. And how long have you been doing that? So I've been with AARP since 2008, so about 12 years. And what is Family, Home, and Community? What does that group do? So the team I lead is a team within our Public Policy Institute, which is ARP's kind of in-house think tank that works on issues around uh, livable communities, which are typical planning issues, along with family caregiving and long-term services and supports. So uh, really the issues that impact people in the places where they live, that's the uh, the work there. And also uh, lead ARP's work on housing issues. So exciting work, certainly. And AARP and APA have worked together before on a couple of different programs, right? Yes, many times over the years. Uh, we've uh, worked on age-friendly summits uh, together with APA. We've launched the uh, Livability Index at the APA uh, National Planning Conference in 2015. And uh, we've had, uh, even more recently, we've had uh, roundtables on accessory dwelling units as a housing option uh, that can uh, help people as they're aging. So lots of different interconnections uh, with APA and AARP. And of course, I'm a proud member as well. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, you mentioned housing a bit, and that's one of the key intersections, I would think, between the work of AARP and planning. But what are some of the other areas where the needs and wants of aging Americans and the communities that they live in really intersect with what planners do on a day-to-day basis or, or the plans that they make? That's a great question. And so let me start here with the idea of what we call a livable community. And that concept is a place that has the options that people need, and regardless of their age or their income or the level of physical ability. And we focus a lot on the housing and transportation options, but also the community features and services that people need, because we know that the vast majority of people want to stay in their homes and communities as they're aging but they just don't have the options that allow them to do that well. Uh, One thing I always say is that people are amazingly adaptable, but sometimes that hurts us in that we'll adapt to whatever circumstances there are. And the idea to me of good planning and aging is that we're producing communities that work for people of all ages, knowing that we're not there today. Uh, One thing I often think about is that we've been building communities in this country for four centuries now. And for that entire period of time, we've had one thing that was in common, and that was that there were relatively few older adults in our communities. And in 2035, or by 2035, something fundamental will change. And that's the point at which the Census Bureau estimates that we'll have more people over the age of 65 than under 18 for the first time in U.S. history. And so that's a watershed moment. The idea that you can't marginalize or Uh, assume you won't worry about the older adult population anymore. 
your community, no matter where you live, will have older adults. And so we should think about them as we're planning roads, as we're planning parks, as we're planning housing, as we're planning kind of the way we design communities so that people can have the options that will serve them, whether they're young, whether they're families, whether they're older. Uh, we need all of those sides representing our communities. And so good planning would do all of those things, would serve the entire community as a whole, which means all the different parts and pieces of the community, their needs should be met. Thinking about, I mean, obviously there are all sorts of different communities in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't really, of course you can't generalize uh, about all of them, but how prepared are communities for what you describe? You describe this demographic shift that is no surprise, right? We've known about it for some time, but now we're actually getting quite a bit closer to that point where I think you said by, what did you say, 2035? That's right. The level yeah. of people over 65. Yeah. How prepared are we? Well, I'd say we're not as prepared as we should be, but at least we're getting better. Mm-hmm. That uh, when I started, it was rare to have communities reaching out uh, about aging. There was ha- It was happening, but definitely not as much as it is today. And uh, a few years ago or several years ago, we became the official U.S. affiliate of the Age-Friendly Communities Program. Uh, and so the idea was that the WHO had set up years back uh, a program so that communities could undergo a five-year planning process uh, to become prepared for aging. They'd commit to uh, surveying and understanding the population, then developing a plan, and then finally implementing it over each of these five-year cycles. And in 2012, we had a handful of communities. I think it was maybe about 12 or 16. But today, we have 488 communities, uh, six states in that network, and, and the territory of the Virgin Islands as well. And so the idea that that kind of momentum is building, it certainly gives me hope And frankly, when I go around the country or when I went around the country prior to COVID, I should say, uh, and talk to elected officials and planners and others, now the conversation has shifted. It used to be, uh, oh, really, aging's an issue? Something, maybe we should think about it. Now it's, I know that aging is an issue, but what can we do about it? And so that's a much better place where uh, they can come to ARP and others to try to get solutions to help that plan their communities better and, and provide the things that people need. So it's not where we should be. Obviously, 488 communities are nowhere near as many communities as we have across the country, for example. But at least it's growing, and I think it will continue to do so. What are some of the key aspects of, of that program that you mentioned that planners should start thinking about, whether they're part of the age-friendly program or not? What are Is there a framework that goes along with it? There is, and there's a, a framework that goes across to separate domains of community, uh, things like housing and transportation and outdoor spaces and healthcare and the like. But the idea of many of these frameworks is a good one, which is that people are not intersecting with one part of their community at a time. That my housing choice is also a transportation choice. If I've chosen a home, power out on the outskirts because that's all I can afford and there's limited transportation options, well, then I'm in trouble if I can no longer drive or can't afford a car, for example. Uh, if that home is near a park that I can't access because of the hours of the park or because there's some physical barrier or because there's some other thing that prevents me or uh, from going to that park, then that's tied in as well. And so, you know, and not even to get into the economics of it and economic development and, and just many of the other factors uh, that go into planning. And so one thing I appreciate 
about, frankly, having a planning background is that as a discipline, looking for those connections and intersections between the issues that impact people is really what planners can do well. And we have to fight what I think uh, is the single biggest policy problem facing our country, which is the siloing of issues. On every level, we've always siloed issues because it's easy, it's straightforward. Not necessarily easy, but easier, I should say. The idea that there's a housing department and there's a housing committee in your legislature and they work on the housing issues with their housing budget and, and address those problems was perhaps necessary and is efficient, but it also underestimates those interconnections I'm just talking about, right? And so the idea that we can bring together to think about how all of these issues overlap and impact people's lives and then encourage communities to make the good decisions that can help benefit people, I think that's really the place of the planner. And that's why we do things like have all of our little communities resources. It's why, in part of why we created our livability index and the age friendly communities network, just lots of things we're doing to try to help uh, planners and other uh, local officials help make their communities better for people. That's really what we're trying to do. Well, it's not just siloed planning functions, but when we think about things that are good for people who are aging, in a lot of ways, things that are good for that particular group are great for other for other segments of the population, right? We sh- we don't. I wonder how different are the needs of an older person versus maybe a younger person. You know, both of them might want to get to the park in their neighborhood, and if the sidewalks don't connect or if there aren't any at all, uh, it's inaccessible regardless of your age. That's exactly right. Uh, and one of the first things I did at ERP was do a study where uh, we went to several cities to look at ha- housing near transit and how that was benefiting people. And I remember uh, going to a, a Midwestern city and noting how sidewalks were just broken and missing and, and very dangerous on one side of this community. And then the other one was through this neighborhood that was uh, poorly lit. You know, that many of the residents that I talked to were afraid to walk down that street. So you had a choice between you know, physical safety uh, of two different kinds, uh, crime and, and physical safety on the other. And I remember at that point, it clicked to me that, you know, that was a p- impacting me uh, in my 30s at the time. And it's also impacting the 70 and 80 year old residents I'm talking to. And so those issues are connected. And, you know, back when we launched the Livability Index in 2015, it was at the same time we had done a survey and based that in survey research on uh, how people are uh, viewing their communities and what uh, features were most important to people. It was the same time that APA was doing the research on uh, younger populations and millennials at the time. And we came together to realize that, to just your point, many of the things that were at the top of our survey, uh, things like access to parks and grocery stores and libraries and other things, were also at the top of the APA survey. And that became kind of the crux of that conversation. The idea that it's often framed as boomers versus millennials because that's a nice, easy visual to do. That's not necessarily the case. It's that people want the types of things that people want in communities. They want those options that we've been talking about. But certain parts of the older population have trouble accessing things that unless their needs are are taken into account. And so the idea is that we're creating livable communities for all ages. That's really the ARP livable communities mantra. The idea that regardless of your age or regardless of your income or regardless of your level of physical ability, you should be able to access those things. And so that's really the way we look at it. And I think it's a way, a good way for anybody to look at it. 
because, you know, you've talked about this uh, offline, but the idea that older adults aren't a monolith, right? The idea that older adults aren't just one group, that there are people in different income levels, different parts of the community, different racial groups, different ethnicities and religions, and all of these different factors go in to understanding not just older adults, but the wider population. So to me, the best way to do this is to think about the communities as a whole, and then who perhaps might have limited access to some of these features we're talking about, and then kind of revisiting that as we're looking at bringing options that serve for the community. And planners are in a unique position to do that, to do that sort of holistic view of their communities. So it's such a great fit. It's a great role for planners. I call the livability index the planner's best friend because I've <laughs> seen this firsthand. I know it's happening uh, secondhand in many places that planners have been saying these kinds of things to their communities for years. And I like that we now offer a tool with ARP's name on it that says some of those same things that, hey, we should think about uh, the access that this new neighborhood, if we're going to build this new suburban neighborhood in a cul-de-sac on a greenfield development, maybe we might want to think about putting more of that development closer to the center of town where people can access all of these things. That might be better for folks. But you know, we are now providing a tool that can help you say that uh, because it is important generally. And it's not just the planner who's saying that uh, from their ivory tower in City Hall. It's you know, it's actually true and it's actually something that benefits people. So we're happy to provide not just the index, but other resources to help planners make those arguments. Uh, Rodney, I want to transition a little bit to the moment that we're in now. Um, We're really, some people say that we're in this triple crisis, right, of um, the COVID-19 pandemic and racial injustice that, of course, has been around for a long time, but um, the killings of George Floyd and other people have really brought it closer to our attention. Uh, And then, of course, our economy is suffering. Um, So there's a lot going on at that moment and in this moment. And I'm wondering, has that revealed new and different challenges to the work that you've been working on? Or how has all this disruption impacted your work? That's a great question and one that everyone's dealing with right now, trying to understand this time that we're in. And I would say that it hasn't brought anything new, frankly. What it's done is it's shown a light upon some of the things that were already there, always there, perhaps under the surface for some folks. Uh, But these issues are coming to the fore, especially on, on the planning side. And they're all also interconnected. The COVID pandemic Uh, has led to some of the economic conditions that we're facing. And I personally don't think that we would have uh, seen as many protests this summer if it wasn't for the COVID kind of context that we're in, where uh, folks are feeling not only the pressures and negative outcomes of COVID and and the government policies around it and just just being uh, in this world right now, but also out of the visceral viewing of, you know, a man's life being choked out of him over a nine minute period, that that all came together, I think, in, in different ways and times. And so it's all kind of in that 2020, you know, pot of things that are impacting us. And I'd start this way, though, which that the root cause that that biggest issue, I should say, the, uh, the COVID pandemic, and it's 90 now 91,000 uh, people that have uh, died in nursing homes alone. Uh, as of our latest nursing home dashboard, has led a lot of folks to think about kind of what we're doing as we're aging. So let's think about 
Uh, now, if these are the only options for people to age it in their communities, maybe that's not the best option for everyone. Well, and when I talk to all of our long-term care experts, uh, like Susan Reinhardt and others, they're always telling me uh, that housing and transportation too are the two biggest factors that prevent people from being able to come back in their community, which is what most people uh, want to do if they're in a long-term care situation. They'd like to be in their communities and uh, and have what they need to, to stay and thrive there. And so I think that's a, the silver lining is I think there's an opportunity to rethink and to look at some of the options in some of the ways we've talked about earlier, that we just haven't had the options that we've needed. And now this crisis has really shown us that that's the case, that uh, let's think about the fact that uh, less than 2% of housing in the country has five features that support aging. I think that's a Harvard Joint Center study came up with that figure. And so we've got this vast majority of our housing stock that doesn't work for aging. And we've got people that need more options and not having options can be deadly in some cases, not to mention all the other issues like falls and you know just isolation and lack of social connection that can come from being in housing choices that don't work. You know, what can we do to create more options for people so that you have a better chance of getting an option that meets your needs? That's the question uh, we could be asking ourselves. And frankly, as we're looking at uh, I think a coming eviction and foreclosure uh, potential crisis, the affordability of housing needs to be something that's on our minds as well. That the idea that uh, it's very hard to afford housing in a great swaths of this country, and let's layer that on top of trying to find housing that meets your needs, that's in a location that works for you. Again, people can adapt to almost anything. And I've seen this in, in my work, that people are adapting to many different circumstances and locations and, and the like. But again, being able to improve those options will help us in many ways. And I think COVID has just shown that light on that. And, you know, the second thing you mentioned was the uh, injustice part of things. And I hinted at this a little bit earlier. The idea that with all of this going on, that certain people in our communities are feeling the brunt of things more than others has become more of a forefront issue. And I think that's only healthy as well, frankly. The idea that we're seeing communities of color being hit harder by uh, the crisis. Again, that ties in as well. And that belies the fact that for years, we haven't had a fulsome community conversation. Uh, we talked a little bit about parks earlier and I just to take that one piece of things that parks can be created uh, with a statue that might be offensive to certain community members in the middle of it. So it's not just the sidewalk that might be a barrier, the high curb or something, or it might not be the hours that the parks open or even the, the safety. But, you know, the fact that these weren't created with the entire community in mind, that's another opening that we have, frankly, uh, to address an existing issue, the idea that we may need to go back and think about how we're developing those pieces of our community and how community members are impacted and able to access those things. So, you know, while I think this is a, you know, this ongoing pandemic is changing everything in life. You and I can't be in the same room in person right now to have this conversation. Uh, it's impacting everything, but it also gives an opportunity to start to think about and focus on some of these long-standing issues and try to start thinking about some solutions. Do you have any solutions in mind or have you heard any promising solutions? Looking forward a few years from now, what do you hope we might have learned? Yeah, I think that there's a wide variety of solutions and I put them in a category of good planning. Uh, you know, the idea that we should be having community conversations 
and that it's not enough, for example, to have one hearing in one part of the county that only gets the same people in there and, and think that we're going to get the full picture. There's many ways to get that full picture, but step one is recognizing that we're not necessarily getting that with our current practices. It could be doing focus groups in libraries across town. That's one age-friendly community uh, did that uh, to try to make sure that they were getting uh, people in every uh, ward of that city. Uh, it could be uh, doing surveys that go out broadly and make sure that you're getting uh, different parts of the community involved. But no matter how you do it, it's having people at the table. The idea that you know the different groups in the community must be at the table to have their voices heard, and then, in the end, that our policies that we implement reflect those inputs, that's the key. And so, to me, awareness of the issue is a big first step. And then the processes flow from that. It's up to you and your community to figure out the best ways to address them. But there's a whole kind of variety, whole basket of things that we could do that start with understanding that there's not a simple average person in, uh, that we could just say that this average person is impacted. So we'll just extrapolate that community-wide. I've talked about something internally with ARP that we're calling people first. The, you know, the idea that we shouldn't just be thinking about policies that as a whole that uh, are aggregated at some large level and look at the numbers, look at the dollars and cents of things, which we should do. But we should also look at the fact that each community is made up of different groups and different people that are impacted differently by those policies. And that switch, that check, is one that ensures that we're implementing or describing or suggesting policies that uh, will make sure that they can support all those people in the community. And it sounds like an underlying message that you're delivering is as much as we've been through uh, um, in the last several months, it has raised awareness about um, how different people are, how different their needs are, how how much we're the same, but but really has revealed some of the um, underlying issues that have needed to be addressed. And now that they're out in the open, we can do something about it. That's absolutely right. I mean, that, you know, all of the issues we've talked about have impacted groups within communities differently, whether it's the housing cost or the transportation issues or access to different things or the healthcare issues and the like. And, you know, that's one reason why it's crucial to not just look community by community at issues, but to look neighborhood by neighborhood and to understand that people living in this neighborhood and this place might be facing something completely different than folks on the other side of town. And uh, by understanding that, we can start to look at some of those differences uh, across communities as planners and others. Rodney, it, there's so much to um, talk about in this area. And, and I thank you for just showing us just sort of a small slice of it. Um, but if listeners want to learn more about AARP's programs or how, particularly if our listeners who are planners, how they can start incorporating some of the things we've been talking about today into their work, what are some resources you would point them to? Sure. The first thing I would point people to is aarp.org slash livable. That's our livable communities home page, award-winning site that captures uh, all of the different things I've talked about, our livability index, our age-friendly communities network, and then resources for uh, housing and transportation and land use and many of these other issues impacted communities. We've tried to collect a great deal of things in our 
uh, programs team has done a great job of putting this site together to help that. Uh, and the other thing I'd say is to uh, look at the uh, AARP uh, state office in your state uh, that they may be doing uh, things as well. And so you can find information uh, how to contact them or how to stay up to date with what they're doing on AARP site. And finally, the biggest thing that we've done with APA, I'll mention here, which is the livability index. And when we launched it, it was the world's first nationwide neighborhood-based livability index. And the idea was that we wanted to measure across the country to put a face, a score, a number on some of the things we've been talking about, those intersections and those issues that we've been addressing. And I think it's been incredibly powerful. And uh, I want people out there to know that we're still working on making that bigger and better into the future. So uh, very excited about just sharing all those resources. But if you remember nothing else, go to arp.org slash livable. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for um, this terrific conversation and uh, for all the work that your organization is doing. And, and thanks for your time today, Rodney. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the American Planning Association podcast. Check out the Planning Magazine article inspired by this conversation called Fitting Together the Needs of an Aging Population, plus so much more at planning.org planning. Listen to the other interviews in the series on planning for an aging population at planning.org podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the show at Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.